This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Julie from A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Hi, I'm Seth. I am Misa. And we're going to talk about the final chapters of the return of the king the final book of the lord of the rings it's a bit confusing because book six of the six parts of the lord of the rings the six books not the three volumes (laughs) is also titled the return of the king Hmm. which makes sense because half of it is about that yeah yes now i think uh it's really the standout part for me like I couldn't remember any of this except for the Grey Havens, which no. I think everybody remembers a little yeah. bit, and the Scouring in the Shire. Yeah, I didn't remember. Like I, I knew there were some eagles. <laughs> I knew the <laughs> dropping of a ring. Um, interesting because really? the part I always remember is um, Sam when he's alone. Mm-hmm. And the things that happened to him, and then also this tortuous climb up Mount Whoa. Doom, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the scouring the Shire always kind of takes me by surprise, which I think it's meant to do. And then uh, it was very powerful for me this time. Uh, the, and, mm-hmm. and as the as the only person on the planet that hadn't read it in advance, <laughs> I I was like, why is this so long? Because, you know, you come to the end and they're like, okay, there's the yeah. ring. Why is there another half of a book here? <laughs> yeah. Why do I have to keep reading for it? And then it was really surprising how how much how the catharsis of actually having the rest of the book was. Mm-hmm. You know? Like to be Did able to work? finally say goodbye to all these people and see what's going on and, and finish with the hobbits. Like, you, you really need it. You didn't expect to need it, but you do. Mm-hmm. Somebody, uh, I, I was looking up little things uh, near the end, and somebody said, uh, this, this, uh, The Scouring of the Ch- Shire is a stupid chapter. Tolkien should have left it out. And then lots of people jumped up to defend <laughs> Tolkien's uh, inclusion. Um, but at least some people agree with that. Uh, the movie makers left it out yeah. of the movie. Um, apparently, the way they deal with Saruman is having Legolas shoot Grima after Grima st- uh, slits his throat or stabs him in the back at Isengard. Oh, I didn't remember that. Okay. I didn't yeah. remember that either. I didn't remember that from the movie either, but that's what uh, somebody says, um, uh, how it's dealt with, um, which is interesting, I think. Uh, but it, it's a problem that needs to be solved if you get rid of the scouring of the Shire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that only happens in the extended edition. I think um, in the theatrical Return of the King, they just leave him as a prisoner, and that's that's kind of it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Well, so, Misa, I, I was interested to hear you say it was a catharsis that you – because I know a lot of people do complain – about the scouring and also the fact that there seemed to be several endings, which they kind of faithfully did in the movie mm-hmm. where, you know, by the time you're to the fourth goodbye, you're just like, oh, mm-hmm. man, and the book I felt handled it so much better by having them kind of travel all on the journey together and then just go off on their little roads as they came up. Mm-hmm. But, but you liked all that then. I did. I did. I, um, because, because you, you finally, you, you got to sort of, 
embrace them all again and mm. and wish them farewell on their subsequent hug. journeys. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, like really, really it just drives home how much the third age is over. Like Gandalf says it again and again and again, yeah. which you don't. I mean, you hear it, you hear it coming and you understand it's coming, but like it just makes it so much, solidifies it so much. Yeah, it does. Uh, uh, you know, they, uh, somebody called it falling action. Um, oh. I don't like, I don't like that, uh, you know, the, the, the chart that I was made to do oh, right. I, yeah. where you say, you know, there's a, an incident and then the rising action and then the climax and then falling action and then mm-hmm. the conclusion or something. I've always hated that. And, uh, I don't even like to think about, you know, whether Tolkien did that or not. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not how he yeah, plays I don't the book. think so either. No. Um, but I, I have a really interesting question I kind of uh, wanted to pose to you and see if, if any of you had this as a sort of an inkling. I, w- I want you to think uh-huh. about it for a second, just before that was not <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> so, um, I, you, uh, I want you to think about it just for a second before you answer, because I think maybe you might have a hint of it. Maybe maybe not Julie, but oh, I, I want wow. to ask. <laughs> no, um, bam! I'm singled so, out. Fine. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. Uh, Julie's always hard to figure out what she's gonna. Think. <laughs> oh, I um, take that as a compliment. Yes. Maybe. I, I, I don't know if it's a compliment. It's just a fact. Okay. Inscrutable Julie Davis. <laughs> yeah, she is a bit inscrutable. I thought I let it all hang out, but fine. Yes. Okay. So the question is this, and I want you to think about it immediately. Don't respond. Just think about it for a minute. Do you think that Bilbo had any hand, or is slightly responsible for the scouring of the Shire? That is not the the cleaning up of the Shire, but rather the thing that Gandalf and Bilbo did prior to the events of this novel or this series of books. Do you think that Bilbo is at all responsible for what happens to the Shire? Uh, I guess in the sense that he um, opened up the Shire to um, the awareness of of a wider world, um, I could see that being possible. Because uh, I think in the Fellowship you hear about you know dwarves coming in to visit him and and things like that. So I I can see how um, Saruman might have caught wind of just the existence of the Shire, and then of course you know, once. Uh, once he connects it with the ring um, through Gandalf and his sort of uh, small, mean-minded, uh, vengeful spirit takes in, takes over, and he's been—we know he's been working there for a while in some fashion mm-hmm. because of the uh, the tobacco leaf and the flotsam and jetsam, which I think we talked about in that <laughs> chapter. Possibly, yeah. and and also um, um, Gandalf does say that Saruman has been keeping an eye on the Shire. Um, mm. for a while. It, what, what do you think, Julie? <laughs> oh, I, yeah, in the way that anybody would who suddenly stumbled upon this quiet place and thus the wide world became more aware of it in that mm. way. Not mm. deliberately, of course, but just no, no. as an agent of change. And in a sense, 
you can almost see that being intentional because without the Shire's contribution to the greater mm-hmm. war, it would have been lost. So it's it's kind of interesting to see the results, which we don't like, you know, before the Shire is cleaned up. And you say that's a bad thing, but the fact is, is that if the Shire had had a little bit more interaction with the bigger world, they'd have been a little tougher already to deal with it. Mm. Um, I, I was thinking of, and I know this is kind of going off your topic, and then we can come right back, but I was thinking this morning of uh, Fatty Bulgar, is that his name? Oh, yeah. Roderick. Who's no longer Fatty. Right, but he is, I was thinking about the fact that at the beginning, Elrond says, I really wanted to send Pippin and Mary back to the Shire to warn them. And mm. I thought of how different Pippin and Mary were and how they were the they were so different that they were able to stand up and take charge and be agents of change back for good again. But they wouldn't have been able to do that if they hadn't been through their adventures. And Freddie is, or Fatty or whatever, is he's the <laughs> one who's um, he, he's weaker than, than they are to start with, but he's essentially them. So that's what would have happened if they'd have sent back, I felt like. And so mm-hmm. you, you regret what happens to the Shire, but you can kind of see how it's a result of them being so isolated so mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like in inadvertently Bilbo did that. I yeah, it's and, interesting, and, don't you think? Oh, sorry, only other thing was how much how much greed was there, or not greed, but um, mm. envy. How much envy was there in the Shire before, or or thoughts of that kind of like I could have more and bigger and bigger and bigger before before Bilbo came back and. And was showing off everything that he had, and and people that were jealous is, of Bag End. Like, yeah, that was, is was that exact, a thing? Is that's exactly what I was thinking. That there, there's some difference between the end of The Hobbit and the end of this book, in that when Bilbo comes back from his adventures, he's loaded with chests full of gold, right? And if you remember the beginning of of but way back in the very <laughs> first mists of time, mists of time, the birthday party, <laughs> hanging out in the Shire, we know that there's a lot of uh, hobbits talking about the rumors full of treasure halls in you know in up in Hob- mm-hmm. end, right? Yeah, you've got young hobbits even going around there knocking on the walls trying to. In fact. Them. It's kind of like it's it's kind of like uh, Smog's Lair, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's sort of a mini version of Smog's Lair well, because. Oh, go ahead. Well, it, it eventually gets inhabited by you know a fire-breathing yeah. dragon. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that greed was already there some in the fact that you know his relatives have taken over Bag End in the end of the Hobbit before he comes back. He's there mm-hmm. just in time to stop the auction, maybe. And so in that sense, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Bilbo is, he's kind of the light that shines down to kind of expose what's there underneath already. Mm. Because he's not going around, yeah, he's not going around lording it over anyone. I mean, he's generous. He gives away a lot of stuff, but he's got things that tempt people to show who they really are. It's uh, there, there's a lot of parallels between Frodo and and Bilbo. Obviously, you know they're both the master of uh, Bag End, and then they go off on an adventure and they come back from their adventure. Um, Bilbo 
I think it's interesting that Tolkien didn't have Bilbo. I mean, I know he's old and tired and stuff, but he doesn't have them, him with, with uh, Frodo and Sam and Pippin and Merry when they re-enter Hobbiton under uh, Sharky's control. If if he was there, uh, as far as I know, he never even. In the book, I don't think he knows that anything bad no. happened to this guy. No. He's sort of off in dreamland, right? Yeah. Um, but if he had been there and, you know, they had given him some coffee or something, <laughs> he would he, he, he would probably feel like he was responsible in part for what's going on there. And I think it's interesting that Tolkien rewards or has his his heroes rewarded differently in the second, you know, the, in the Lord of the Rings, as opposed to the Hobbit, because the end of the Hobbit, uh, he comes back not with fame, he comes back with gold. And yes, he went off in an adventure, but that, remember, adventures were bad things, right? <laughs> they were disreputable. They were bad for the family name, and, you know, people would spread rumors about you. But when, when they are offered... Uh, riches, not you know excessive riches, but when they're offered anything other than their you know their their knighthoods and their titles as you know ring bearer or you know uh, defender of the whatever, um, they don't accept them. They don't go back with with any any gold other than what they're wearing. You know their silver breastplates or whatever. They come back with you know. A horn. Greater stature yeah. and a horn, yeah. Well, I'm and I, it's arguing. very interesting that yeah. Tolkien doesn't reward them in the same way. It's like an evolution of, you know, the uh, Seth, yeah. you know, we, we talked about this, right? The ancient... Uh, uh, yeah, the, the kind of old Norse um, heroic... The Norse values, yeah. right? Is Winning treasure. Treasure and giving out treasure, which is what... Bilbo, Bilbo does some. Yeah. yeah, he does some to mitigate the problem. But the thing is, is he was still he didn't bring. Back he was a, still rumored. He didn't bring back a lot more. though. He brought. Yeah, I mean, he brought back two yeah. chests. I mean, he was entitled to a fourteenth of the, of that huge pile of pile of gold. And the fact that he didn't um, perpetuate that cycle of of hoarding and uh, I, the rumor of him doing it is there. And exactly. I think that that speaks to the hobbits. Um, like we were saying, uh, I think Julia was saying something that's within the Hobbits um, before, uh, outside of Bilbo. I think he woke it up, but it, it was definitely there. But also, he also had the other treasure, the the one that well, yeah. everyone jealously wants, right? But he doesn't um, know that at the time. You're talking well, about the he, ring, I mean? That's right. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking I mean, more like what Tolkien's doing rather than what Bilbo's doing. Well, but I would <laughs> argue two things here. One is that one is a children's book. And Bilbo yeah. does come back with more than treasure. That he himself has been changed. He welcomes the dwarves. He goes off on those walks. He does, you know, that's talked about. I believe I, I haven't checked the end of the Hobbit, but that's he's a different person. He he's been opened up to something greater. He has grown, and so yes. that potential there is to continue growing and to change the people around him in a good way. You know, like Sam, that kind of thing, and then. Um, of course, the Lord of the Rings, although it was meant to be the successor as a children's book, it grew way out of that. And so he is allowed to express a much more detailed look at 
what really happens to people when you take the best and the worst and, you know, and that most of us are in between and uh, put all those heroes and villains out there for us to see and what happens when you come back. I think that's why uh, you can look at both the books together, but one is has got to be simplified because children can't grasp all of that. And that's part of the natural. If you're just telling a kid's story, I feel like it's interesting that he had all those layers in there already, kind of indicating the way he thought about stuff for The Hobbit. Yeah. Um, um, and also, they didn't come back with treasure, but what they came back with was um, – because you know how, how often they, they refer to the fact to what are they going to say about us? What songs <laughs> are they going to write? What stories are they going right. to say? Well, what they came back with was renowned. Like now the hobbits are, are a thing. People know who the hobbits are and, and their stories are, are being told. You know, like they say, oh, yeah. a dark lord by himself set out to fire his tower and 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 this and and um and like so they're always they're all talking about what they've done like they're they've become bigger than life which is i mean that's gonna last longer than any treasure really and the thing i love about that is here they are they're the heroes they they dreamed of being but they have forgotten it because they know who they are they're so mm-hmm. humble in fact because that's the the true meaning of humility is you know what's good, you know what's bad, and you just see the truth. You're not glorifying yourself or, or putting yourself down. And so they forget that they look so different than everybody else so that when they're in Brie and they it suddenly dawns on them, they're like, oh, they thought we were big warriors because we're so used to looking like this. Mm-hmm. That's why they were looking at us. We got it. They, yeah, they, they physically, like they grew, yeah. not just did Pippin and Mary get three inches taller, but the whole yeah. thing, hobbits grew. Yeah. Yeah. And they themselves Me. grew. So, because that's one of the things I love about, I, I know we're just focusing on the really the very end, but the thing that I love, and I wish I'd have thought of this, but I read it somewhere, is that how skillful Tol- Tolkien is. We go from the familiar you know, the the birthday party, the stuff we all understand into the really foreign. But then he brings us back. And what we see is how much they and we have changed. Because when everybody's going, oh, no, what? The scour's been, or the scour, the shire's been taken over. Oh, at least we have Gandalf. And Gandalf's like, oh, no, oh. I'm going to go see Tom Bombadil. Mm-hmm. And they're going, what? And he's like, you guys can handle this. This is nothing. And they're like, Oh, yeah, you're right. God, okay. And reading it, you go, why are you guys worried? Because we have grown to have confidence in them also on mm-hmm. their journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have confidence in themselves. Yeah, once they realize they don't have to lean on them. It's just kind of a reflexive action of, oh, you have to save the Shire. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, and besides that, the Shire actually was capable of saving itself all along. Um, right. because hobbits are like that. Like they're like strong yeah. little, it's, there's this little thing inside them, but then, but, but Mary says they just need a flame to fire them up. Right. Right. Well, and it makes you think of, it takes me back to one of my favorite bits of the book earlier in this book six is Sam when the ring doesn't even need to be on his finger and it's working on him. And he's like, Oh, I could be wonderful. I could run the world and <laughs> yeah. ooh, we plant things everywhere. Yeah, this yeah. Great. And then, <laughs> then it says his tough hobbit common sense. Yeah, says, exactly. I couldn't handle that. <laughs> and so not only do you have him as 
he's his ambitions are so not ring like the ring can't even work with them that um and then his it's what you're saying Misa, that real core of common sense that the hobbits have where way deep down it's like no that's not me yeah i i'd like it i'd love it but why even bother moving on mm-hmm. so um that's great I, I I also you know we talked about titles. Uh, I think Great Haven is pretty simple uh, as a title. It sort of tells you what's going on. Um, I don't remember the other chapters other than the scouring of the Ch- Shire. But I was thinking, oh, well, the scouring of the Shire is not that that much of a title. Uh, but actually, I think thinking back when I was a kid. I thought that the scouring, what it, the title meant was, the, and we, I think we sort of think of it, I don't know if it's just me, but I, I think we all think of it, those who've read it before, as the ruining of the, of the Shire. Right. But scouring has two meanings. Um, and I think it's a very interesting word because it, a related word is scowl. S-C-O-W-L, sounding. It's not related etymologically, but the scowling of the Shire <laughs> kind of makes sense because that's what uh, Sharky's doing. That's what Grima's doing. That's what all of those, you know, ruffians are doing. They're scowling as they come search your house, which is the actual, one of the meanings of scouring is is to search everywhere. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh. Yeah. They went into the houses, <laughs> took all the good stuff, you know, leave them a little bit left. You can't keep any beer. You can't keep any pipe weed. You can have a little bit of food. And then they run off. Mm. But then there's all these dirty ruffians all over the place. And there's pollution coming out of this evil mill that I have no idea what's being produced <laughs> in that mill anymore. It doesn't do grain anymore. I think it, it basically it just makes pollution. It makes smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's manufacturing pollution. So, um, and so the, the hobbits have to scour clean, as in, you know, a scullery maid would do. Yeah. Sire. So it has it has both of those. I'm, I'm looking at the Oxford English Dictionary right now, and there's an obsolete uh, kind of Middle English meaning that Tolkien probably would have been familiar with. Um, uh, the act of moving rapidly or going in haste, a run or a rush. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which also fits pretty well with with what's happening. And I thought of it. To sc- oh, go ahead. Scour also S C O U R is how it's spelled, but it, an obsolete spelling is S C O W E R, which um, also looks more like scowl. Or right? so. And it's funny because they, yeah, well they're they're different, but they they go together. It's a very good choice as opposed to the cleaning of the Shire. Well, so. I wonder what translators do if you're reading this in Chinese. <laughs> you know, do they just go with a simple meaning? I think this is uh, probably a book that's going to be more popular in English just for such etymological wonderfulness that Tolkien can do. Yeah, because I looked at this as um, I tend to think like you, Jesse, I have to remind myself that he probably didn't mean you know, the bad stuff that's happening. He means they're cleaning it up. Mm-hmm. But there's also this other sense of scour that I had that I thought it, this was one of those double, wonderful double meanings. Now it turns out maybe quadruple meanings. But of when you scour something, you can ruin it. 
like, mm-hmm. you know, rushing through it. And, and instead of a wonderful verdant land, you've got just desert left because you've right. scoured everything out of it. And so I kind of looked at it as it's been scoured like that. And then they're scouring it, like you said, like, you know, getting all the black stuff off the inside of a pan and making it clean and shiny again. Yeah. So I just thought it was a wonderful kind of a doubling again. Yeah. yeah. It's it's funny because it it, it, it in in memory it works as a negative, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, the damaging of the that's sky. That's how right? the first cuz that, that's how I read it the the first time through. And it is that, but that happened before we got there. So that's not actually what's happening in the chapter. Yeah, because yeah. it's an and, active verb. It's right. happening now. Right. Right. Um, unless you we think of it as a period of time, right? The the, and so looking at the timeline in which I I did, um, how long did how long did Soraman have to you know get it really rude? I was trying to figure <laughs> that out. Thank you for doing it. Okay, so. <laughs> Here's, uh, they met Saruman and Grima on the road. And I think this is a very interesting scene as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, One with, week uh, after. Where, uh, no, it's a, it's a, uh, it's about a month. Oh, I before. thought they said a week. A week no, after he left. Um... Oh, I'm sorry. No, I mean a month before oh, they okay. meet him in the Shire. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. He's only in the Shire for just over a month. Right. Which is not very long to get it really good and dirty. He's, he's had people doing it, though. He's had, right. yeah. mm-hmm. he's had Otho, so, um, yeah. Yep. Right. And uh, also, remember Ted Sandyman, uh, mm. the Miller's yeah. son, um, who we never hear from again, I believe. Uh, I thought he was in there. I think he's mentioned, but I don't think we and actually they, see oh, him. Oh, I thought they talked to him in after he After they run him off. Oh, okay. He, they, you know, they show up and say, "What you been doing, Ted Sandyman, right. or whatever?" And, and then he's gone, um, and he he blows his own horn <laughs> and runs off, um, freaked out. And then uh, that's where Mary or Pippin, whichever one has the horn, blows <laughs> <laughs> his Ro- Rohirrim horn uh, to call all the hobbits together. So that's sort of the start of the revolution, sort of thing. But um, Ted Sandyman, Lotho, right? Uh, Lotho Sackville Baggins, right? <laughs> um, the Sackville, he's sacking the town. Um, and apparently he stopped using the Baggins suffix. Uh, it mentioned that somewhere in there. So it's interesting that those guys are probably in league with uh, Sormon way prior. Well, at least uh, one of them. Somebody in the South Farthings is in league with Saruman in some way. Yeah. At least a year prior to uh, everything happening. Because when they go down, when in the two towers, um, in Flotsam and Jetsam, Merry and Pippin discover a barrel full of, um, or a couple, two barrels full of pipeweed. Long bottom that, pipeweed or something. Right. They point out that the that pipeweed is from last year's crop, not this year's crop. So that's what Gandalf is saying when he says Saruman has been eyeing the sh- uh, the Shire for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he asked. He he had asked apparently uh, about it. He mentions that in uh, a meeting or something. Um, earlier, he was interested in the Shire probably because of it uh, containing the ring at one point, right? In the same way that Sauron was interested in the Shire. He never really got his tendrils up there, right? Other than the uh, 
the Black Riders. But Saruman was sort of in there in a more insidious manner. And he was always smaller mm-hmm. than than Saruman. Uh, uh, or on the ground. Than Sauron. And yeah, and Sauron had bigger fish to fry. He was working on a lot of fronts where Saruman just had his small thing, even though he liked to think he was wonderful. Which, so, oh, go ahead. No, uh, no, I think this is all good. I'm, I'm just thinking. I'm wondering, like, at that scene where they meet the beggar on the road and his and his his dog, the beggar and his dog on the road. Um, some people would want to have Saruman killed at that point. First of all, he's really his name is pretty awesomely appropriate for how he acts. He's sour, right? Mm-hmm. Very bitter. Yes. Very, yeah. Uh, I'm going to do this because of spite yeah. rather than uh, because it's going to you know, help me in some grand. He's still trying to hang on to that. And my downfall was your downfall. That's yeah, right. he's still trying to hold on to this idea of being great and powerful. Right. He, he wants, yeah, he wants to hold on to something, and, and that's his spite, right? So uh, was Tolkien right in giving us the value that Frodo espouses, even, you know, Sam a little bit too, but especially Frodo espouses, which is pretty much the same value as uh, Strider espouses at the end, whatever Aragorn espouses, (laughs) which is be merciful, don't kill your enemies, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. that's bad. Mm -hmm. But if if somebody had killed uh, Saruman there... Wouldn't a lot of the problems of the Shire have been solved? Wouldn't the 19 hobbits who were killed, uh, some of them still be alive? True, but, but then you wouldn't have um, you know, the beautiful um, uh, tree from Lothlorien gracing the party field. And I think that's you know, the point of, of a lot of this stuff is that good things come out of evil in ways mm-hmm. that we can't understand. And so it's better it's better to let some bad things happen than to risk yourself going down that road. Yeah. There's also some bit of predestiny going on here. Um, with, with what, what, what did Galadriel give to Sam? What was in that box? Was it, uh, soil? I can't remember. Yeah. Earth and a a seed. Yeah. It sounded like ash actually. Yeah. Very great. great To replant the Shire that was going to go down. Like it was. I thought it was like fertilizer. She didn't didn't say. She just said you're a gardener and you'll use this somehow. You'll use. But I mean, ultimately they knew they, they foresaw it um, in the, in the mirror. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like it seems like what's going to happen. Possible. I think it's one of the possible things because what if Sam had lain down and not carried Frodo up the hill or the oh, hill, Mount Doom? I mean, <laughs> one of those things where she said some of these things are happening, some might, some might not, because he saw the Shire being run over. But you can't let it's. Um, I read something the other day. I was talking about taking action instead of sitting around and planning all the time for what could happen. Just go <laughs> ahead and, and do stuff, you know. And mm-hmm. it and it one of the things it said is judge yourself by your act, the actions you take, not by the outcomes. Meaning, mm. you have to act in the moment on what seems best to you. And if something doesn't come from it like you thought it would, or is not as big as you thought it should be, 
don't go back and say I was wrong because you were doing the best you could right then. You can't right. always tell. And so I think that goes to all this. I think Galadriel was going, you'll use this somewhere, hopefully, if you live through it. I think that, um, and, and in the best possible circumstance, you can replant the Shire. I think that mm-hmm. Frodo, in espousing mercy, had to do that because they'd seen hearts change. You know, Theoden, mm-hmm. they could have given him up at the beginning of old idiot, you know, and look what happened. That wasn't Frodo. Yeah. He Frodo wouldn't have actually seen that, but well, he certainly right. He, but he certainly knew about it. it. Right. Yeah. And there were all these, but all along the way, look at Eowyn's heart changes in a mm. way that you never could have expected. Look at um, Faramir drawn to her because of her sorrow. I mean, there's so yeah. many cha- things where people change because they're given the chance to change. Well, of well, course, even with Gollum, where he doesn't exactly. change, but but yeah. uh, right. still, his good comes out of it of leaving Gollum alive saved the world, basically. Saved the world. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. That's got to have meant something to him. And did Frodo ever kill anybody in this book? (laughs) Maybe in Moria. I think Moria, he fought some orcs, and he might have Mm -hmm. killed an orc or two. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Well, Mm -hmm. and the, the... Also, because that underlying idea of pity is shown when they're having the fight and Frodo, it says, stops some of the hobbits who would have killed some of the villains who'd given up their swords. So Mm. he's also showing you can do injustice while you're fighting injustice. You can be wrong. So you have to watch what you're doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. he says and no so, hobbit has yeah. ever killed another hobbit. Yeah, that was uh, it. Was pretty interesting that the they have sheriffs, right? They have a mayor. The mayor's job basically is is he he's in charge of the feasts. Mm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but the sheriffs, the the one of the one of the sheriffs, he says, oh, the only reason I I joined the sheriffs was because I wanted to. Uh, travel around all of the Shire. And check out all the beer. Didn't he say yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, th- these are uh, uniquely, <laughs> well, I mean, never, in, except in accident, right? He said uh, no husband killed his wife, no father killed his son. This is, these are extremely peaceful beings. Yeah, and the chance is there for them to kind of embrace something that makes them feel powerful. So that sense of perspective has to be kept, and Frodo's the one there to keep it and kind of help them. Now that that begs the question, have they changed now? Now that they've been through a battle, will things be different? Will they be, Mm -hmm. like, would anybody actually think of killing now? Well, this this is interesting because we do get a projection into the future, right? So we get... That the they build a monument, uh, which is like a World War One monument for the Battle of uh, Bywater, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hobbits killed. Oh, by the way, did you notice what they did with the ruffians? They mm-hmm. put them in a, a sand pit, um, in a mass grave. <laughs> <Same> <laughs> mass grave, <laughs> but it is a mass grave. It's on the ref- ruffian nightly news. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some yeah. Rapes found in the fire. <laughs> Mass grave in the Shire, um, seventy. This is these uh, hobbits are pretty wicked, man. Nineteen hobbits killed, seventy ruffians killed. Mm-hmm. That uh, yeah, you know, for a with peaceful shovels and, and a couple of swords. Yeah, yeah. only nineteen killed. They stepped up pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you, what do you make of uh, of the name Sharky? Because to me, when I was a kid, I, I assumed that like. 
there's no sharks in Middle Earth. <laughs> well, now thinking about it, it's actually probably more like, uh, like tricky. Hmm. Right. Yeah. It's not like they're hanging out by the ocean, right? Yeah. 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 Well, sharp. Well, yeah, that's interesting because all he has is his two fangs and ah. words. Mm-hmm. The voice of Sauron. Mm-hmm. Which is powerful enough to uh, outwit Treebeard. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well. And, uh, that was really interesting because Treebeard, um, you know, he was really trying hard to justify his choice. Like, you know, I don't like to confine things. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a very interesting insight into, well, human well, or end. That's yeah. their nature, though, too, right? I, I mean, think they, that's partly true. Yeah. Yeah. They don't respect borders in the same, you know, they. But they, still. So, but like word do. shark, card shark, it's that kind of shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um. Notice I, I also that Treebeard, uh, when he's given the the uh, was in the Aragorn says, oh, I don't know, and somebody, maybe it's Aragorn says, hey, you know, you you could go over and check out those uh, those uh, yeah uh, eastern lands, mm-hmm. uh, and he says no. Um, he said, it's like, you know, they're free, you know, you could go check them out now and see if, if that's where the Antwise went, which is why they went, <laughs> um, <laughs> but they, uh, yeah. he goes against it. He doesn't like do it. And he says, you know, just keep an eye out for, for him. Let me know if you hear anything. Mm-hmm. Well, if they leave, then who's going to take care of what's left? Well, it's, that's uh, not what he says, uh, but. They're, I'm just thinking about it. Speaking of things that uh, leave and and we don't know what happens to them, um, here's another question: what, what happened to all the orcs? Are they in a mass grave somewhere outside of Mordor? Yeah, that's interesting because they they once it said once Saruman they they all lost the will. So what what happened to them? And they, they lost direction the and will, like the original orcs we met. Yeah. I think that most people agree that they are dispersed and go hide back in the hills and mountains and just become sort of bandits again. Yeah, yeah kind of their... Go ahead. I think that's one of the points is that, you know, evil evil creatures and evil things don't just disappear. There's still um, threats in the world and danger in the world. And it's, yeah, it's safer and more peaceful than it was, but these things haven't disappeared Um Aragorn says to Pippin, you know, you're a knight in my service, you're on leave, but I might need you again. Um, it's not the world goes on, and life mm-hmm. and death and greed and all of that stuff goes on, and I think that's why the scouring is so important. Yeah, I was thinking about that again this morning, too, because I was thinking how much I love it, because it shows that you, we ourselves in our own lives can have these big and important things happen, for good, bad, whatever, but we're always back to real life. That's where we really live all the time. And all these things, as Seth is saying, are still there, just in a different way. How do we act? Do we still show pity? Do we still try to not kill people? Do we still try to show everybody dignity and respect? I mean, that's something we're all faced with every day, mm-hmm. just in a small way. And so I love that I used to not like the scouring of the Shire because I felt like, well, I've said goodbye so many times. Now do we have to stop and do this? But the more I've read it, you know, this book keeps opening up and I guess maybe hopefully changing me along with it. Um, it's, it's, it's so – it reinforces the mercy that we see Aragorn dispensing, right? Mm-hmm. He, he gives gives Mordor not a great 
prize, but he gives it to the to the enemies of uh, or to Sauron's servants, right? The mm-hmm. so the 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 human servants. That is, we don't ever see him dealing with you know the orc leaders, Gorbag or whatever, right? <laughs> right? Um, but he he dispenses mercy um, with every meeting, right? Every defeated enemy that comes up, he says, "You're forgiven." Uh, dro- you know, drop your swords and you know go home. Um, it's interesting because that's how the hobbits are going to deal with even the the power mad hobbits, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Power mad hobbits not very exciting, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I'm going to control all the pipe weed in the South Farthing. <laughs> yeah, no um, one gets beer if I don't give it to them. But uh, the, the message that Tolkien, I mean, if he has a propaganda message for this book, as opposed to the previous book, which I think is, it, it is more simplistic, you know, he got the gold, he's the hero, he came home and everything's over. Here, the propaganda message is it's not about the gold, right? It's it's about it's about the respect for your fellows, uh, being merciful, um, you know, enjoying you know your your achievements, that sort of thing. Loving and, life and the power of working together, uh, like yeah, right. uh, uh, yeah, like because Frodo ostensibly, you know, he put the the tow- the ring in the in the mountain of doom but he could but it was all about everybody because yes. because yeah. you know mm-hmm. the moment when when sauron was was most looking for it and frodo was like grasping at his he had sam hold his hands away from the ring sauron was looking over at the captains like right. everybody was so integral to it nobody did it alone and that also goes to speak to what happened to the orcs without Without working together, without somebody, you know, funneling everybody in a certain direction, it just falls apart. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, too, because on the other side of that, the other thing that happens that I noticed this time through more powerfully maybe than before is both Sam and Frodo are, they've had it, they're done. And both of them have come over them this sense of urgency, like it's now or never. You mm-hmm. have to do this right now. And then they just start crawling. And they and Tolkien makes the point the captains were at the gate. Mm-hmm. It is like it has to happen now, or it's just not going to happen, man. And All this that, will have been for nothing. So you've got, like you say, it's not they're not being forced. They have to respond. That we all have to respond in our own way. But it's all working towards this point, you know. Because mm-hmm. I would say, oh, go ahead. Oh no, no, go finish that. No, no. I was going to say when you were, and we could talk about this later, Jesse, but you said, you know, the point of this book. And I was like, that's interesting because I came away with five things that I thought were all being told to us through the whole book. I have a list. Let's hear the list. Okay. The list is there's an underlying power. Luck, if luck we call it. Choices that we make matter. Mm -hmm. Even the small can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Intention counts. Yeah. And mercy or p- slash pity is a powerful force, more powerful mm-hmm. than we know. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that's why he was writing the book, but I think that's so much a part of him that it's everywhere in the book. Now, some of it's right. intentional, some of it isn't. But Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it's very funny. This week I was uh, doing some tutoring and student uh, for his homework assignment. Uh, he needs to write an essay about about 
his novel choice, which was not The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> really? <laughs> Uh, I, I, I believe it. <laughs> but instead, A Game of Thrones, the first oh, book. Oh, my of, word. Wow, George R.R. R. Martin's big book. Yeah, I don't know why he chose such a big book. But he could have chosen like 1984. Yeah. I didn't know what 1984 was. But um, it, uh, talking about the book with him, um, it became very clear to me that George R.R. R. Martin and Tolkien, although you know, often shelved in the same section, really have quite a different philosophy when it comes to uh, messaging, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so early on uh, in the first book, it's the only book I've read in that series, by the way, the Game of Thrones series, um, the character of of uh, Eddard Stark cuts off the head of a deserter from the Night's Watch. Mm. Um, and he says to, to his sons, you know, uh, I don't know this man, but it's my responsibility mm-hmm. as, you know, the leader of this area. Everybody has to protect this neighborhood because uh, we don't want the bad guys coming over the wall. Right. And so this is necessary. I'm not happy about it, but uh, it needs to be done. And more importantly, son, um, you need to know that when you become, I guess he's talking to Rob, um, when you become the warden of the north, um, it's going to be your responsibility to do just such things. And that's all very well and good, right? The message is, uh, I guess, um, we have harsh responsibilities that we must do, whether we like it or not. But um, more importantly, deserters uh, have to be punished because if you don't do your duty, everybody suffers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, wow. And then <laughs> what happens at the end of the book? What? Eddard Stark goes down to be the right hand, uh, the hand of the king, doing his duty. He doesn't want to do it, but he has to do it. And what does he get for it? His own head chopped off. Yeah. Does he? Right. I have haven't yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Spoiler. The, the messaging, <laughs> the messaging for this, you know, book <laughs> is that do your duty, don't do your duty, get your head chopped off. That's interesting because you see... very different philosophy. Um, you even see in this book um, Aragorn dealing with people who can't handle the march to the gates and the fighting yeah. on the way where he says, like, you guys are not Sail? cut out for this. Here's some other things you can do and contribute in a different way. So yeah. he kind of helps them not desert. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Jesse, you were asking earlier about whether whether the... Frodo's philosophy of absolute mercy is is the right thing, and I don't know. And you have that philosophy on the one hand, and then Martin's philosophy of absolute expediency on the other, and probably truth, at least politically, is somewhere in between. I mean, looking <laughs> at things right now, it's absolute mercy. I definitely lean towards that, but yeah, no kidding, huh? so complex because the other way ain't, ain't working that well. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, well, yeah, you look at ISIS and you go. Whoa, you do that to these guys, and but it's that same thing of if the head is gone, does it just fall apart? Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem to be the case with uh, Al Qaeda, right? Well, no, I have no. I, I'm saying it's the real world is more complex, and I think Tolkien yeah. would have agreed with that. This is a piece of fiction, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it is interesting the way that things are dealt with and personal responsibility, and this the whole thing of you know our choices matter personally. Um, and it extends to nations, too. It, it, it's funny, you know, like Saruman is killed, which I think 
we all think, you know, if he's just going to go make more trouble. He said he's, he says he's not, right? Well, he's a liar. Well, we know he's a liar. We know he's a liar. We know he's deceptive anyways. I don't know. If, I'm just going to say he's a liar. Let's just. I, I would say, you know, he's in that direction anyways. And You're Grima, so merciful, Jesse. <laughs> well, I still have so much to learn. Well, I think I think there's a, a grand tradition in fiction where the the bad guy never lies. He just doesn't tell you the important fact about, oh, yes, I'm actually behind all these murders. <laughs> I think that's actually it. Yeah. I, I don't think, you know, he, he went around, you know, saying uh, absolute truth all the time, what's on his mind. I think he, you know, marshaled his... Partial truth, yeah. Well, anyway, yes. your point, though, was something the, different. Yeah, so uh, there is some satisfaction in having Grima turn on him for us. We think, of course, when you bite, you know, you, you kick your dog all the time, of course it's going to come back and bite you, right? Mm -hmm. That's wrong for him to treat Grima that way. It's wrong for... Um, but uh, before somebody could... Before Frodo could stop him, uh, s some hobbit shoots uh, Grima. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's having his cake and eating it, too, in a certain way. Yeah. Right? Imagine if Sauron isn't, you know, bodily dispersed. Oh. Uh, see, I don't think he has a body, but I, if he isn't dispersed at the destruction of the ring. Yeah, that big shadow comes up. Imagine him in chains before right. uh, Aragorn and say, hey, Aragorn, uh, here's here's Sauron. What are you going to do with him? Right. Is he say, yes, you may return to your land of more. <laughs> well, it's, it's one thing to say that versus what he probably would have said, which is shut him up somewhere, which is what they did with Saruman. That's what uh, they did with people. Well, remember, every time no, they had somebody exactly. like that, every time they had somebody who they're like, oh, I can't trust you. But, you know, Gollum was Gollum, left yeah. by elves. Let them all go. The the hobbits, the, the, uh, the, the, the Saruman locked himself in that tower. But but, but wasn't Treebeard supposed to keep him up there? Yeah. Treebeard Gollum, was, Gollum was supposed to was, be kept by the elves. I mean, what they did was they tried to shut them away where they weren't going to hurt anyone. They might not be the most comfortable. It's not what they want, but they're not, you know, they still have a chance to change. They, it's like, you know, life in prison versus the death penalty. Um, they still have a chance to change. They still have, you know, hope and possibility in front of them, whether they like where they are or not, because, of course, they don't like where they are because they have a terrible perspective. They're, they don't, they're not seeing things straight. Um, and that's, I think, what he would have done with um, Sauron. Now, you'd have had to have like five people like Gandalf spelling the prison yeah. or whatever. <laughs> but I'm just saying we've had plenty of examples shown to us of what happens if you just keep, you know, you you guard the sheep from the wolves. And those wolves are put somewhere where they can't hurt the sheep. But you give yeah, them I, a chance I, to become I, I, a dog. I think that the, it's it's right, uh, but I, I just think you know I, I'm not sure George R. R. Martin's philosophy of of reality is right um, that you know <laughs> whether you desert and do your duty and whether you don't do yeah, your duty well, you get your head chopped off. I, I think that because he's basing it on you know the roar, War of the Roses, um, there's some factual backup for that. Oh, is that I'd what like, it's based on? I mean, I really like yeah, literally yeah. nothing. Yeah, yeah. So I'd, I'd like very popular. I'd like to believe that Tolkien's philosophy of reality was uh, applicable to our world. I I would like to believe that, but I'm it's totally and incredible. I hope. Well, I mean, I think it probably is on a you know, in an 
sort of a soft, fam- maybe in a family sort of thing. But I'm not sure that it can apply outside of that. And, I, and I'm well, kind of worried that it, because is, it is This would powerful. be your problem with Catholicism then, because as a Catholic, yeah, everything it is in here is so Christian. Catholic. Now, he's not, he's not saying it. He, he didn't write it to be a Catholic book. And people who no. say that... I will absolutely argue with him to the death. He wrote it to be a great book. No, for the mercy, for the mercy, not the death. Yeah. Oh, if they died while I was arguing, I would say Uh, I was sorry. Well, you know, you know, it was it was an accident. No, but I'm just saying all these things. The reason that um, I. I guess that the reason I'm arguing the way I am and saying I see all these examples in here is because, of course, it took me like five times of reading it and listening to Corey Olson to really think about it and everything. It's but that's because it's not obvious, which is to me what makes it so wonderful. It's a book for everyone. And you don't have to agree with his ideas about mercy and pity and all that stuff. But in the ideal world, this is also why people don't understand the stuff that Pope Francis says. They go, well, he's saying this about immigrants, but then he's saying this about, you know, the family, but then he's saying, because it's not political. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's based on a completely different ideal that you can't look at through a political lens because no form of politics fits it. It's mm-hmm. different. And that's the same thing as with this book and these ideas. And I guess that's why I'm sitting here going, who's right? Who's right about everything? Practically speaking, it's not an ideal world. But do we have to try? Yes. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. I agree that you can't just take it and apply it to, you know, national policy, foreign policy, that sort of thing. But um, like Jesse was saying, maybe we should. Well, like you were saying, I I noticed we're not doing that. But wait, what's that saying? Wait, just a second. It will, um, it, if you apply it to families, like you were saying, Jesse, or individuals, um, it, it take take generations. But if you can get you know, these kind of values in a generation of people growing up, and that's why I love this stuff, and that's why I think it's so important to talk about it, is that if you get enough people, if you get a groundswell of people who hold these values, um, get them voting, get them in in office. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's very optimistic. I don't know that it will ever happen, but that's the ideal. And that's why I, you know, promote evangelize. I'll, I'll use that word evangelize <laughs> uh, this kind of stuff. So the Lord of the Rings, you're evangelizing you know, really important the holy texts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I will say one more thing in, in, I hadn't thought of it that way, Seth, because yeah, and we should all work for the ideal. That's part of what this shows us too, is that, yeah, realistically speaking, is it going to happen? I'm afraid not, but I'd love to think it could, and why shouldn't we try for it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one reason that the the Catholic Church calls the family the domestic church, because the idea is if all the families are raising and teaching the next generations the way that everything should be and modeling it for them and living that way themselves, that's how you change society is through all the families living the culture that is best for everyone, it's trickle you don't, it up doesn't always trickle down. To, you, you like you you yeah. are looking at it from the Catholic perspective, which is cool, but that's it's more universal than that. You know, it's an it's an oh. ideal perspective. Catholic meaning universal. <laughs> so I, I just okay, and I won't say anything. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. The small C Catholic. Yeah. It's, but it's both, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think it's well, and of course, being Catholic, I and loving the ideal, I realize. We all fall very far short of perfection. And in some cases, 
sadly so and embarrassingly let's, so. But let's talk about the ideas. Aowen those and ideals are there and for everyone. So, anyway. Faramir. I want to talk about Eowyn and Faramir before we end. Um, because I was not remembering their romance in the Garden of Healing. I did. Uh, but I quite liked it. I, mm-hmm. I really, uh, I, I think it was very deftly handled. So let, I, now I was a little confused about the timeline from, from their, what they, when they were, when we got to their scene, um, was this after everything had happened or because, because the timelines in this book. No, no, like the only time really, really liked was when finally in this book they said, "Okay, you're here on the mountain. This is what's happening somewhere else," and I could mm. finally see it. But now with these two, there's she's saying, "I wish I was still on the field. I wish I was fighting." And right, so there's so a whole war. It jumps backwards. Back, yeah, are we backwards back- again? We We're back. Yeah. Mm. No, no, I don't think so. Uh, there's a bunch of battles we don't see. Those are all the battles after the Pelennor Fields, okay. basically. Okay. All the battles from the river to Mor- the gates of Mordor, right? Where Gandalf and the Aragorn and Eomir are, you know, routing the enemy. Um, where that's why Frodo and Sam are seeing the lands of Mordor being emptied is because all the reserves are pushing to the gate to meet the enemy, right? So during that period is when Eowyn and Faramir are convalescing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a scene. There's um, she, one of them Instead of having one. more battles, we get a love scene, yeah. which I think is really nice. And I don't want to see more battles because I don't think Tolkien's really amazing no, at, you know, no. scale battles. <laughs> but I think he's, uh, you know, for... I used to say about this is a book with no girls in it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, orcs. We've never seen a female orc ever. No, is orc there, are, there, are they self-replicating or or do they? <laughs> don't know much about them, but I don't uh, want to think about it. Apparently, Tolkien. <laughs> is not yeah. yeah, yeah, there could be like gremlins. Yeah. Don't get them. Wild. Don't feed them after midnight. <laughs> That's right. Um, but. Uh, well, but they, it does say there's that one part where they're holding hands, standing there, and they're waiting. They knew not for what. And it seemed to them that above the ridges of the distant mountains, another vast mountain of darkness rose, towering up like a wave that should engulf the world. And about it, lightnings flicked. And then a tremor ran through the earth, and they felt the walls of the city quiver. A sound like a sigh went up from all the lands about them, and their hearts beat suddenly again. That's so, when the ring gets chucked. Mm-hmm, yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, this, so, yeah. So they have gone backwards some because we've seen Mount Doom and everything. I mean, mm. to, to tell the beginning of their story. Yeah. yeah. Backwards a little. And then that's what catches them up with what's going on then. Because then the eagles come and say, mm-hmm. yeah, one eagle comes and says, the realm of Sauron is ended forever and the dark tower is thrown down. Sing and rejoice. Now, you know? the, um. What I like best about this scene, this scene was throughout this whole book, we've had images of light and darkness, water and drought. And, um, and like it's been pitted yeah. against each other the whole time and through battles and battles and battles and battles. And after all the stories of the battles, it's in a moment of this like love. That he mm. he's that Tolkien seems to sum up like to just bring everything down crystal. He says, 
And so they stood on the walls of the city of Gondor and a great wind rose. And there's all kinds of stuff about winds of change. So here, so the great wind rose and blew in their hair, mm-hmm. raven and golden. Again, golden. All the kids oh, are, the wow. hobbits are born golden. Oh, right. Streamed out, mingling into the air. And the shadow departed and the sun was unveiled and light leaped forth and the waters of Anduin shone like silver and all the houses of the city men sang for joy and welled up in the hearts. For what stars they could not tell. <laughs> like it just like, you know, he he brought it all down in into that moment, it felt like. If we do a highlight reel for 2015 SFF audio podcast that's going on. <laughs> that reading, that I know, I'm you're going more. I want more. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> and then they fell off the <laughs> ball. Yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a it's a brilliant way to deal with the the fact that you know, it, 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 that first half of the Return of the King is just so battle heavy. Um, I'm not a fan of those battles. And, and so like, if we had gotten more of them, I just would have like, think it, he, he's done something very clever. And one of the things he's also done is that he, she's not automatically, you know, a Faramir lover. Right. Mm-hmm. I liked that. She, she, isn't there some hint that she's actually going to be going to go marry Aragorn? She wants well, she to, wanted. but he's always said, honey, I already got a girl. Yeah. <laughs> hundreds yeah. of years we've been promised. <laughs> right, right. No, he's only she's 72. She's also only... And... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. He's only 72 years old. Well, whatever. Hasn't... But she's also... I've been finding her for, for 60 years. <laughs> well, <you> she's <laughs> also loving him. For... She also is infatuated with him for the wrong reasons. It's not from any inner clicking with him. It's because, oh, you're a powerful, very important guy. And, of course, you're very personable and all this stuff. And she has to get to know... Faramir, who very interestingly, I thought, was very different. I mean, he's so noble and wonderful and has his heart is in the right place. And he's the one who says, you know what's more powerful than fighting? Being a healer, mm-hmm. bringing life and gardens and health to your people. That is the thing. Isn't he the one who says, I don't fight because what I love I love fighting, love the sword. I fight because I love what's behind me. Yeah, He's showing yeah. the strength that is in um, a different path than just fighting. And so it's kind of interesting since she wanted to be the shield maiden and fight. Mm-hmm. And she had that kind of that Norse god kind of situation going on. That he's the one who, through his just even being around and influencing her, helps her to kind of go, well, wait. What was it? And when she finally lets go of her idea of Aragorn, it says, um, as Mice was saying, again, we have light and shadow. It says, doesn't it say the shadow lifted from her? And so you see that's maybe a tiny bit left of the shadow of Sauron or that way of thinking that's wrong oriented. I just really thought it was beautiful because usually you get women pointing that out and Mm -hmm. the men doing it. And here Tolkien, way ahead of his time, is flipping it around. (laughs) Mm-hmm. going, anybody can have the wrong perspective. Let's all come together and talk about where it meets in the middle. You know? Yeah, so this scene has gotten a lot of criticism, or not a lot, but I have heard um, some criticism that um, it's kind of reinforcing um, gender, the gender stereotypes, the very gender stereotypes that uh, Eowyn is uh, originally trying to overturn. And I, But I think I, I agree with what you guys are saying, that it's it's more about her becoming a whole and integrated person, not 
not giving up and, oh, I'm going to put down the sword and take up the plowshares. It's, okay, that's a part of me, but this is a part of me, too. And, um, yeah, just integrity and and personal wholeness, I think, is is more a theme than just giving up. And, oh, I guess I'll get married and, you know, walk around barefoot (laughs) in the kitchen. Which is what a lot of critics seem to think that that's what that scene is saying. Well, the battles, the battles are over anyway, so it's not like uh, there's going to be a lot of horse riding and chopping to do. No. But I, I think it's interesting that everybody gets everybody who isn't, you know, a permanent bachelor, quote unquote. <laughs> Sam, aren't you going to come live with me up in? <laughs> yeah. I'm torn. <laughs> uh, so everybody gets paired off at the end, um, except for Aomir. He's there's no woman out there for him. I mean, I know he's a young man still, but uh, so I don't you know, think he'll have any trouble. Yeah, he'll, he'll probably. Of course, I am fine. thinking of the movie, <laughs> but <laughs> Aragorn has uh, his his uh, elf girlfriend, who presumably oh, is, yeah, who presumably like um, the previous elf girlfriend has to give up her immortality. Right. It's like Little Mermaid syndrome, huh? Ah, very interesting. But worth it. Uh, <laughs> Little Mermaid uh, didn't make it worth it at all. She has to give up her tail. Or, no, maybe she has to give up her pointy ears. She has to walk. Oh, yeah, exactly. When she walks, it's not like knives under her feet. Mm. Gee, I wonder why I never liked Hans Christian Andersen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so they even even uh, Sam, well, we find out that Sam had a girlfriend all this time. Yeah. I, I don't remember Rose being mentioned in the first in the first. Uh, I thought but, but, she was mentioned just briefly. I think she was in, mentioned once in, the, yeah. in a tavern. Okay. In the tavern, yeah. She's, okay. Yeah, serving in the tavern. All right, um, but uh, it's interesting because um, Sam gets um, he gets married eventually. He has he has kids, and the name that they choose for the daughter is uh, Eleanor, which I thought was a very uh, interesting word. It's a modern word, but I don't think it means flower for us, right? I think Tolkien's doing sort of sort of retcon of yeah, names, yeah. I, and I think that's really cool because it does sound like an elfish name, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it sure does. And it, it, you know, the old tradition is to give them short names so that you don't have to shorten it. Oh, right? oh, is Rose. it? I didn't yeah, that. that's what they say, he mentioned. Is you know, <laughs> make sure you give them. Because if you give him a long name, oh okay, like my niece yeah. is named, my niece is named after a flower as well. Her name is uh, Calicia, oh, right. which is a kind of flower, but nobody calls her that, right? They Cal- call her Cal, yeah, right, which is a shortened version of it. Yeah. So Rose or Daisy, right? But I guess Daisy could even be shortened to Days. <laughs> yeah. Dazed, well, Dazed and confused. Yeah, I mean, Cal- my name is Enora. I don't know. My name is Julianne. But Julie oh, is my okay. nickname. But my friends, my like, just a few people will call me Jules. So they're still shortening yeah. that because they don't yeah. know I have a longer name. So, yeah. Hmm. So, um, I like this book. I like the Love previous it so books. much. Did you notice at the very end, um, the when the ring, the, they finish the book by the, the the ring bearers actually leaving the land. So, Frodo. Mm-hmm. Bilbo, um, Gandalf, um, and the other two, We're all with the rings. Like that's how. It yeah. Only Sam is left because he gets and to. And Sam doesn't leave. He gets like, well. They say 
He might go he later. Dies. Yeah, yeah. He Frodo says he might come later. Yeah, I thought it was beautiful. And then, like, the, the way that, like, it's called Lord of the Rings, and everything circles, like, everything ended. He Everything came to a, he kept circling back on so many points. They come back to to Bilbo on his birthday again. Right? Yeah. Like, so birthday. many times. He's just, like, Also Frodo's birthday, everything. right? Huh? It's also Frodo's birthday. And Frodo's birthday, right? They, they don't mention that, hmm. but it is. Right? Yeah. Oh, Yeah. And yeah. I want, there's one other thing I wanted to mention for you Dorian Gray people. Oh. <laughs> Frodo looked down at the body of Saruman with pity and horror, for as he looked, it seemed that long years yes. of death were suddenly revealed in it, and it shrank and oh, shriveled man. and came wrapped the skin upon a hideous skull. Yeah. Mm. Woo. That's good. He doesn't look nice and peaceful in death. Though. <laughs> well, I no. have to say, I loved that he being a minor uh, version of Sauron shared Sauron's fate in that, you know, Sauron is gone and the big shadow comes up and looks like it's going to act menacing and then the wind blows it away. Yeah, and it's the and west then, wind too, which is the west wind is, the west, you know, the ships are sailing right. to the west. That's where all the good stuff yeah, is. Yeah, that's where the Grey gone. Havens so is, it's, right. And so, it's a spiritual, re- it's a rejection. A yeah, it's a rejection. rejection everything Saruman, he stands for. And being smaller, his shadow doesn't act menacing. It kind of looks wistfully to the west, and the west wind blows it away. It's that, again, that rejection of yeah. at your chance, man, right up to the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love that. It, but being lesser, yeah, Sauron, Sauron's never going to ask. He's still going to try and dominate, even in just his shadow form. But Saruman's like, probably with, with the spider now. They're probably Yeah. Fighting. Yeah. Ugh. So I, I was thinking also, you know, last time we talked a little bit about if there was a fan fiction that <laughs> I would write about <laughs> or somebody would write. And I'm sure there's lots of them. I just haven't gone looking for them. I don't actually want to write this, but I, I was thinking um, if I was forced, if somebody said, okay, you have to do this. Or, gun to your head. I'll, I'll chop your feet off or something. <laughs> oh, gun to your head's much better. Oh. My, fur, my furry feet. Your furry little feet. Well, I've never fur, read it. <laughs> I think I would set it a couple hundred years uh, into the fourth age, right? So that uh, the records of Pippin and, and Mariadoc are in the past, but not too deep in the past, right? Um, you know, Sam's children, great-grandchildren are still scurrying about all over the Shire. And I would make the main character or characters uh, graduate students at a Hobbit university. (laughs) (laughs) And and she would be mounting a sort of uh, expedition to the Mountains of Madness-style story they go on a journey, they, you know, visit all the fun places that, you know, so they'd go to uh, wherever Elrond, Rivendell, right, and see, you know, these old empty houses now taken over by nature, and it'd be pretty. And they'd encounter a few orcs on the road, but nothing they can't handle. And, you know, one of them would be like a, he'd be in the Department of Economics, because, you know, (laughs) well, Keynes Economics doesn't work that great, and he'd be trying to solve it, you know, like ring world engineer style finish it out the Um, way you want yeah right and then uh the ultimate uh discovery before they return home for their long journey and discover a new beer or something (laughs) in the shire has been brought in from uh done the dunlands or whatever would be uh the so the 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 climax of the story would be 
when they come across uh, a couple of pots and pans in. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, yeah, that would be yeah, that would be neat. Well, because they had to abandon them, right? Yeah, so that does, yeah and that it broke works. his heart. Yeah, yeah. but I don't think any everything. bigger stories can really be told that wouldn't. No. Well, that works and, because it's a frame narrative. I mean, the we it's not very intrusive, but you read the foreword to the Fellowship, and it's sort of written, or the prologue is sort of written from a perspective of, oh, this is this stuff was written down in Frodo's Book of Westmarch, and hmm. um, you know, it's only in these editions, and even even um, the uh, story of Bilbo's game with Gollum was different in the first edition of The Hobbit, hmm. and even that was worked into the kind of frame narrative of. Well, Bilbo told this story, and it was in later versions of the of the Red Book. It was Frodo told you know, told the real story, but there are still some editions of that floating yeah. around there. So right. the, your your idea of, of kind of scholar fanfic would would totally work. <laughs> yeah. that's that works. That's well, and that was um, we. You know, it's funny we talked I about. I think it's the pots and pans that does it, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. They're, the, well, they're like the you know the King Solomon's uh, or you know the Ark of the Covenant yeah. sort of. <laughs> The relic that's it, left right? over <laughs> proves the story is a true one. But it was the heart of also, we talked about everything around the heroic efforts of Sam and Frodo getting that ring up to the precipice. And that's one of the things that you're right, Jesse, you hit on the heart of what's so touching because the last part is just told from Sam's point of view. Frodo can't hardly you know, his would have just been wheel of fire, wheel of fire. That's all I can see. And it's when Sam has to give up his pots and pans that he's really, I mean, he was all in before, but he's really all in because he's giving up any hope of ever going home at that point. He is mm-hmm. totally committed to everything. We won't need them. Yeah. it's I can't. And I can't even think about the future. I just have to do what I'm doing right now. And this is all I can do. I'm giving every bit of strength to it. I mean, um, and, and it was so vivid. I mean, I was thirsty all the time I was reading it. <laughs> Constantly yeah. going, oh, I need a drink. And um, But the ways that you saw still that luck, if luck you call it, pounding through it, where the um, they're like, wow, we've got to get here. And they're, I don't know how I'm going to get Frodo to go. Well, guess what? You guys look like little tiny orcs and you're going to get picked up by this band of orcs and whipped until you run to where you can get off the road. And, oh, I'm right where I need to be to start climbing up Mount Doom. And um, all those things that kind of were wound so beautifully together that are the heart of this book. It's it's almost like reading about going through those marshes that, Seth, I know you hate, and nobody loves them, but uh, <laughs> but it's got such a purpose that you're dying to know if they can do it. Mm-hmm. Even when you've read it a lot of times, you're still like, I think this time Frodo's going he's, he's gonna to come through, man. No, one more time. Is, is this uh, three-book book the greatest novel or whatever of the 20th century? Or ever, I'm going to. I don't, know. I don't know. Ever is pretty pretty big. I mean, okay. it's competing. Just the my, Iliad, just the my personal point of view. Beowulf and a whole lot of amazing uh, stuff. No, it's better than Beowulf. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, well, I so never had a favorite yeah. book until yeah. about the third or fourth time through this, which ironically I could never get through till I listened to the audio and then had Corey Olson. And once I could start appreciating everything in it, I went, wow, I finally have a favorite book. I didn't think that would happen in my life. Hmm. So, for me. Nice. 
I, the I, yeah, I came to this expecting answer. not to like it or to be plodding through it. And uh, and it's moved up to one of my favorite books. I um, nice. I'm I cannot like I I keep getting overwhelmed by by the brilliance of the writing and um, the just the it's just so overwhelming. I I can't believe that one person could do it. <laughs> I know it's just so dense and and thick and um, well done. So well done. And of course, Seth, this uh, this is without question one of your yeah, favorites. Yeah, yeah, know that it's right? Definitely, um, if not your favorite, most influential in my life for sure. I mean, it, mm. I'm like Julie; it's hard to pick a favorite book, but in terms of things that have influenced my life, this book is <clears> up there, you know, next to you know my parents and things like that. Wow. <laughs> well, and Jesse. Oh yeah, definitely. I I, I used to you know say it without question the lord of the rings is is the best book ever written um i i think as i read more i i need to scale back on that immodesty and just assuming that it's the best book ever written but i i still find it hard to imagine that there's a lot out there that i haven't read that's going to be i mean there's many books that are excellent right mm -hmm. oh yeah amazing things uh but tolkien is espousing some really important values in this that I, you know, I I would like to think would be applicable to all mankind and all, yeah. all you know, interactions. I I don't know if they are. Um, I don't like George R. R. Martin's uh, <laughs> philosophy, no. uh, but I think it, he is showing us a harsh truth um, rather than yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not How sure. Men live. Yeah, I, Tolkien, you know, some people said that The Lord of the Rings is Tolkien, uh, I think some people say, Tolkien. this is Tolkien responding to World War One and looking to the past in a nostalgic way. And other writers, like uh, I just did a show recently on a book I thought was wonderful um, and amazing, uh, A Voyage to Arcturus by oh, David right. Lindsay, which is a response, I think, also to you know, the horrors of World War One, and it, it looks off in a completely different direction. Um, it's not anything like this book, except, you know, it's got a very strange journey and ha espouses a really interesting philosophy. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if it is the greatest book ever, but it's certainly among them, mm -hmm. if not mm -hmm. up there. Well, I, it, oh, I would say this thing that was the greatest about it, I think, is that you can enjoy it now, my personal problems with it, you know, to one side, um, originally, I think what you can say is so, that makes it so great is it does keep giving every time you read it. And you and, and it's influenced so many people just for the sheer story itself. You don't have to go into all that stuff, which is why I don't like it when people will say this is a response to this or he was using it for evangelization or and I'm like, because that. Is, yeah, is I, taking it all down to too small a level. He was telling yeah. a magnificent story that can be enjoyed on a lot of levels, and which is what, whether it's a favorite or not, is a great piece of literature. It's so. pretty impressive that it can it can you know make a whole bunch of adults very happy, and also make a bunch of kids <laughs> very happy. Um, you know, it's it, there's something great about this. 
This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.